Welcome to the No More Risk Better Accredit Sites podcast. I'm Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy. And I'm Zach Griffiths, the Credit Sites Senior Investment Grade Strategist. As strategists, we aim to make sense of the macro and the micro, highlighting opportunities and the risks facing the fixed income markets. As important as the macro call may be, we understand that credit investing at its core comes down to keen single name selection, and we at Credit Sites benefit from the expertise of our team of over 100 analysts across the US, Europe, and Asia. This podcast offers a look at the conversations that we have with our analysts on a regular basis. If you are an investment professional focused on the wide universe of fixed income, you'll want to give this podcast a listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Credit Sites podcast. This is Winnie Caesar, Global Head of Strategy at Credit Sites. And today I have with me Zach Griffiths, our Head of Investment Grade and Macro Strategy, and Logan Miller, our Head of Euro Strategy, to talk about analyst angst and all things sector by sector risk related. We have two reports out recently from our US and London analyst teams, and these are focused on what could go wrong. What are the risks that are currently underappreciated, underpriced in markets at the sector level? We did this report in no small part because the markets seem to be pricing in a pretty Goldilocks outcome, both in the US and Europe. And after my travels in London and Paris a couple of weeks ago, visiting with investors, it seemed to me that perhaps there were some key risks that were maybe underappreciated by investors. Now, all of our analysts were asked to look at sector-specific risks, how to trade them, how they're thinking about them, and we think that these will be really great and helpful reports to help you navigate sector strategy and really just to help you wrap your mind around some of the things that our analysts are considering as potential threats to the outlook in 2024. So Zach, I'm going to start with you in the U.S. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Winnie. Looking forward to the discussion. With the U.S., we did see that some of the risks were a bit more macro in nature, which is clearly your wheelhouse, or some were recurring across different sectors. What stood out to you as some of the most universal concerns around our U.S. analyst team? Yeah, there definitely were some recurring themes, and we tried to really boil that down into a few key points, even though they look a little bit different across sectors. I'd say one of the biggest ones was this narrative around concerns of waning demand, a potential U.S. consumer downturn, and in particular for these subsectors within basics, a continued destocking trend. And so I think that's something that certainly resonates with us, Winnie. I remember when we were having our discussions ahead of the 2024 outlook, we were thinking it was probably time to get a little bit more bearish. Our more bullish outlook for 2023 proved to be a pretty solid one, due in no small part to the discussion with analysts we had the prior year, which kind of said things are, are looking great. We're, we're not thinking that even with all of this tightening, we're going to have a downturn. And, and coming into this year, it's like, well, how high can we stay for how long without that downturn coming? And so I think that's a little bit more in the forefront. And in our discussions with analysts, it's been more of a normalization than a, than a real big downturn expectation, but that's certainly a key risk. Another one is higher interest rates. That's something that we pointed out in our note as a underappreciated risk by the market. If you just look at consensus expectations, it seems to indicate a clear skew in expectations toward lower rates, whether that be the policy rate or 10-year yields across 
various high quality sovereigns. And so that's something that several of our teams pointed out, whether it be in the bank sector or the home builders, we actually had that risk pointed out as, as a big move in either direction would be a risk for that particular sector. So a little bit more nuance there. China concerns, both economic growth and geopolitical was another big one, especially for metals and mining, considering just how much of copper demand in particular is driven by the Chinese economy. I know that Zerlina, our macro analyst, is a little bit more bullish on China than the consensus expectation at this point for 2024, but still it's a key risk. We've seen signs of economic slowdown, even signs of, of deflation there. So that's something that's top of mind. And then leverage was another one that came up in a variety of ways across sectors. Some of that is rising M&A activity concerns and, and industry consolidation that would really apply to the media sector. The consumer goods analyst pointed out potential M&A or shareholder buyback activity or, or shareholder in, uh, incentives there. And another one was elevated CapEx needs by the utilities team, potentially driving increase in leverage as there seems to be a reluctance by those management teams to issue equity to, to finance that. And then a lack of deleveraging ability, perhaps in the paper and packaging sector. Again, that's kind of stems from this underlying destocking consumer demand downtrend concern. So those were really the, the big ones that stuck out to me that kind of had some good overlap with what we highlighted from a more macro perspective, especially considering the conversations that you had, Winnie, at those recent conferences and video and phone conversations we've had with other clients to start 2024. That's super helpful, Zach. I think that the increasing leverage theme is one that people should be paying attention to because one of the points that we made last year was that we hadn't seen that push towards intentional re-leveraging, which is more typical of kind of the middle stages of the credit cycle where you do start to see some consolidation. So I think that that increasing leverage, while at the same time, there are these signs of waning demand and we're not calling for the US consumer to roll over or or even the industrial economy to get worse. But if you have management teams starting to push balance sheets a little bit more, while at the same time you have demand slowing down a little bit, you know, it really means that Fed policy, inflation, all of those things are going to have to come together for us to not see a material erosion in fundamentals. So Logan, let's bring you into the conversation. Did the London team have similar universal concerns of China and rates and leverage? Or do you think that there are some areas of differentiation? Yeah, thanks, Wenny. I, I would say in general, there were some some pretty common themes across our discussions with the, the analyst team in London. And really, a lot of it was surrounded around inflation, interest rates, and the impact that it's going to have on the consumer. And one way or the other, every single one of those topics really touches um, each of these sectors. Um, so I think it's really interesting, not a whole lot of discussion around specific fundamental catalysts at the sector level. Really, again, it's 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 kind of all about the macro here in Europe, uh, which does make some sense. You know, we've, if you look at corporate balance sheets here, they're in pretty good shape. Cash balances remain pretty pretty ample across um, European issuers. Uh, the growth backdrop is, is, is obviously slowed um, from, from last year, but but you know the, the macro continues to be the biggest kind of topic and and point of discussion here in Europe. You know I think it's 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 interesting. We've had a, we had a couple kind of sector specific topics that came up uh, when it came to utilities. Like the biggest risk there was was really around regulatory issues, um, particularly around the the energy transition within kind of insurance. We we had some uh, some risks about potential for natural catastrophes and 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 insurance companies um, kind of under under appreciating those risks. But other 
than that, I mean, it seemed to be very universal in terms of what is the outlook for the economy? Are consumers going to continue to spend at the ways they, they, they have been uh, in the recent years, despite kind of elevated rates? And then ultimately, you know, for how long and, and how high do rates continue to trend? So to me, the biggest risk really is around kind of sustained inflation. Uh, obviously, you know, the ECB has been on sort of a aggressive uh, tightening cycle for, for most of the last two years, but inflation is still not quite to where they want to see it before they're able to kind of back off the and, and, and sort of back off of super tight monetary policy to the point where they would, you know, cut rates and look to kind of in their quantitative quantitative tightening uh, regime. Um, so I think that still remains really the big the big theme there. And I think we'll get into discussion, I think, a little bit more, but inflation really does have an impact on a wide range of sectors. It impacts, you know, what consumers are doing, how companies are thinking about financing themselves. And, and if they're, you know, they're looking at capital expenditure projects, you know, what does high interest rates mean uh, for, for that? Um, so a lot of kind of different dynamics. I think they're all sort of interrelated some way or another. But yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see that most of the, the big risks this year, at least to this point, are all around interest rates, consumer spending, uh, inflation. So we'll have to see how that kind of plays out. Inflation, consumer spending, really topical things that I think just highlights how much the macro is driving the micro and I guess more specifically how much central banks are, are driving the, the boat right now. And we have a pretty busy couple of weeks of central bank meetings uh, ahead of us. So last year, one of my words for the year was idiosyncratic, and that definitely proved to be a good word. Zach, our US team also highlighted some risks that were a little bit more idiosyncratic and less macro in nature, ones that were specific to uh, sectors or even single names. Can you walk us through some of these more idiosyncratic risks that we highlighted? Yeah, so the first one that comes up actually is another podcast topic that we did recently. It's in the capital goods or aerospace and defense sector. Our analyst, Matt Woodruff, just highlights continued quality issues, of course, that really directly relates to, to Boeing. But I think there's obviously going to be more regulatory pressure on the sector as a whole. So that's certainly not one that you can extrapolate to, to other sectors. And we kind of point out a, a few ways that uh, would be more beneficial to trade it. One that, that he highlighted in this note is staying invested in RTX Corporation. I think they recently came out with results that beat street expectations. So that proved to, to be a prudent call by Matt there. Another one is the healthcare industry with the loss of ex exclusivity due to expiring patents. And that's obviously kind of a rolling concern for the sector, but one that our analyst Eric Axon highlights for 2024, potentially impacting, of course, revenue and EBITDA generation. So you could think about it as another hit to leverage or another, I'd say, aspect of, of the leverage concern that we see there. And then another one, which has kind of been a hot button topic and perhaps impacting a sector a little bit differently than you might anticipate is the insurance sector and concerns around commercial real estate. So I think there's been increased focus on investment portfolios there, how much insurance investment portfolios have moved into alternatives and commercial real estate, some of these illiquid asset classes that have proved to generate pretty solid returns depending on which you focus on. But of course, 
one thing about commercial real estate, the, the office sector is under a great deal of pressure. And so that's something that has come into the investor's eye from the perspective of just investing in even insurance companies, bonds. And so that's another thing that you can't really extrapolate across a bunch of different sectors, like some of the more recurring themes that we highlighted there. But I think it's, it's good to have a mix of these more macro, high level and micro really drilled down risks facing the sector as you try to think about formulating a portfolio and, and thinking about how to, to navigate risks overlaid with what has been a constructive view that we've had for, for quite some time now. It's come into question just how constructive can you stay with how tight spreads have gotten. And so I, I think kind of looking at these higher level macro risks with very sector specific micro risks is, is very important and helpful for even us as, as strategists kind of considering where things go from here. Yeah, absolutely. I think it also highlights, you know, sector strategy is a topic that comes up all the time with clients. How should we position be positioned within different sectors for this particular cycle? And it's a topic that I find really interesting, but also really tricky to navigate because sectors are not always one thing, right? Utilities used to be a highly defensive sector. It was the sleep well at night, high quality, you know, you can put your cash to work there and everything's going to be okay. And utilities have become much more volatile for a wide range of reasons over the past couple of years. At the same time, high yield healthcare used to be one of the most defensive sectors there was. And now it's been a pretty significant problem child for an extended period. And so trying to identify these more idiosyncratic risks can oftentimes give clients really valuable information about the trajectory for a sector or whether a sector will continue to hold up as you know defensive or more cyclical going forward forward. So Logan, did you find any risks from the London team that were a bit more Id idiosyncratic in nature? I know you highlighted a number of more macro factors really driving the risks that the analysts were pointing out. Yeah, I would say there there are definitely some. You obviously have companies that are much more sensitive to sort of these macroeconomic developments. You know, our consumer team kind of highlighted moving away from sort of your discretionary names into more of your high quality kind of consumer staples names. Uh, that's definitely kind of a big uh, trend that we saw in this note. But you know, I would say overall, it's there's going to be kind of issues that arise across every sector when you have sort of these big macroeconomic developments. You have you know changes in growth rates, all sorts of different different things going on. But I think. Really Really, it's all about focusing on high quality balance sheets, even if it's in sort of a economically sensitive sector like real estate. I think there's there's certainly some opportunities to to kind of shield yourself from the volatility. If you look at, you know, at companies with kind of really strong balance sheets that are able to kind of weather the storm, um, there's always going to be a storm coming. That's just about how companies are able to kind of get through that. And so I think there's that's been a, that was a, definitely a common theme I'm reading through some of what our analysts commented on uh, is really looking at kind of high quality companies despite headwinds and, and within uh, specific sectors. So that's kind of like where we're focused going forward. I think there's still going to be some some good opportunities. You know, you can look at real estate, for instance, there's there's a handful of names that our analyst uh, pointed out that she likes, uh, even though she expects, you know, interest rates to be a continued headwind for for that real estate space. Um, so certainly that's that's been kind of an interesting dynamic to see because normally, you know, you think, oh, something's going on in one sector, let's just avoid it entirely. But really, that's where sometimes you can find the most 
most opportunity is when it's the most topical sector. And, and so I think credit selection is going to be key this year. And so that's that's pretty much what I would say in terms of you know some of the idiosyncratic risks there. But again, I, I think this note does a really good job of sort of summarizing key places to hide out and sort of weather the storm. Um, so definitely I would I would take a look at that for, for some more kind of sector-specific and name-specific trade ideas. Like that's a, a good place to kind of start if you're thinking about the risks to the, the credit markets this year. Great. And so, Zach, I'm going to go back to you for your favorite risk. And I think that the angle here is, you know, what do you think after reading through what the analysts have put together, what we've been talking about lately, is not appreciated or priced in by the market? Thanks, Winnie. I I feel like getting to the point on leverage perhaps a little bit more M&A activity and consolidation in certain places throughout the, the U.S. credit markets. It kind of comes back to this more macro theme that we've pointed out is supply concerns. And one of them is certainly coming from the treasury side of things. And it kind of fits into this potential for higher rates. How do you get there? I think there are two big ways you can get there. The market reprices what the Fed is going to do back to something closer to what we think, which is 100 basis points of rate cuts this year. The Fed themselves has penciled in 75 basis points of rate cuts with the December summary of economic projections. And so I think that would be one driving force of potentially higher rates, not only at the front end, but across the curve. And then as the supply comes to market throughout 2024, just having that technical headwind driving things higher. So I feel like Perhaps the market's gotten a little bit too complacent with the idea of lower rates and central banks easing fairly aggressively. We do think that easing is going to happen this year, but even if it were to be not as much as the market is currently priced for, that would suggest to us that there's room for rates to rise, at least in the near term, and is a big driver of our shift to recommending investors position in a tactically defensive way, at least over the next couple of months. I think there'll be some key catalysts for that really over just the next couple of weeks with GDP growth for the U.S. coming out this week, the ECB, and then we have the Fed and Treasury refunding next week. So those are certainly two key event risk dates. And I would just add one additional thing, Winnie, a little bit outside of your question, a couple of things that came up in the report that surprised me and I really wasn't anticipating to see. First was both our banks and retail teams identified identified deflation as a potential risk facing their sector. And while that's not really broad-based deflation, whereas U.S. CPI in aggregate is falling as opposed to rising at a slower pace. I think seeing that while a very negative economic outcome deflation is in general, if we have a few sectors facing that, that could go a long way toward the Fed getting back to its 2% target. So I don't think that's something that's being talked about widely in the market and it's something to consider in terms of how the Fed could end up cutting as much as they're they're currently priced for. And the other thing that didn't come up at all is the U.S. election in 2024, which is interesting to me because we get plenty of questions about that during client conversations recently. And so I think it's both surprising and unsurprising in the sense that no policy changes will happen in 2024, but no analysts are really concerned about it from a volatility or liquidity in the market trading perspective at this point. So I think that's interesting. And when you go back and and look at historical election seasons, I think it's very difficult to trade. It's easy to say that we think there'll be more volatility. Maybe you should hedge your portfolio, but constructing that hedge has been very difficult. Timing is very important depending on what strategy you use. And so I think that's kind of interesting and and points out that maybe, sure, there's going to be plenty of headlines, but in terms of the financial market impact, maybe that's overhyped in 2024. I certainly hope so. 
I just would be willing to go to sleep for most of 2024 and hopefully wake up in 2025 and see what happens. <laughs> but that's just me. And I, I think that the talk around deflation is interesting, especially with what has gone on in China lately. I know that the government there is doing more to try to, to kickstart the economy and support equity markets specifically. But there are questions about, you know, is China exporting deflation more globally? And that could help get policymakers closer to a more kind of balanced or less restrictive rate. Uh, but, you know, once deflation takes hold, it's kind of hard to, to stop, right? It's one of those vicious cycles. So Logan, I want to ask you the same question. What's your favorite risk for 2024? What is not being appreciated or priced in by the market? Oh man, that's a, that's a good one. Um, I'm going to have to go with rate volatility and it's something that's, you know, obviously been a driving force behind uh, market performance for several years in a row. You know, if you think about just kind of bond investors in general, you know, they're, they're typically known as like buy and hold, you know, collect your coupon and, and, and then, you know, ride the kind of ride out the storm and, and buy fixed income. But, you know, in, in today's day and age with the kind of the price swings we've seen and, and the moves in interest rates year over year, you, know, you have long bonds down 20, 30 points one year and the next year, you know, they're up 15, 20%. They're almost like equity like returns in a, you know, asset class that's supposed to be pretty safe and, and, and defensive. I think that's going to be a continued theme, especially in the, in the very near term. You have a lot of various key central bank meetings coming up. Um, a lot of sort of uncertainty around, you know, the, what is the direction of central bank policy going to be? Uh, and I think no one's really kind of figured that out. But it's really tough if you're a bond investor to time this kind of stuff, because obviously you have to, if you're going to make a call on duration, you've got to really kind of get in front, get ahead of that. It takes time to kind of, you know, rebalance your portfolios and, and set that accordingly. Uh, and so I think that's, that's going to be kind of a big challenge this year for investors and, and also a risk. I mean, you know, we can say that we think that rates are going to stabilize the, the boon tenure around, you know, two and a quarter percent or so. That's kind of our long term target. But at the, at the same time, there's probably not going to be it's not going to be a straight line to get there. Um, you're going to see some choppiness along the way. I mean, it's, it's just a tough environment to kind of be invested in, in fixed income today. But nonetheless, uh, you know, at least to this point, you know, your, your kind of break evens, your, your total return break evens for fixed income are, are much better today than they were, say, five years ago when rates were negative across Europe and the bond prices were trading well above well above par nowadays you know you can buy some pretty deeply discounted bonds and you're almost guaranteed to get at least you know mid single digit returns over the course of, of holding it so you know risk obviously presents some opportunity and i think that's going to be uh, really kind of the key driver this year is looking for opportunities across corporate credit across fixed income you know where's the value what 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 is the likelihood that you know we continue to see pretty strong demand for fixed income and ultimately like where do rates settle out uh, you know and a lot of that stuff comes back to things we discussed on this call about inflation and economic growth. Um, so it's it's going to be a pretty interesting year for sure for, for credit investors. Um, so more, more podcasts to come. Another interesting year for credit investors and credit investors are all saying, please, no, we do not need another interesting year. We just want the sleep well at night carry year. But like you said, Logan, with volatility comes opportunity. And I hope that everyone checks out those two risk reports that our US and London analyst teams have put together. I think that they are super helpful reading and just provide some good food for thought for the year. Zach and Logan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you everyone else for listening. If anyone has any follow-up questions for us, you can always reach out to us directly using that ask an analyst function on the creditsites.com website. Thanks guys, have a great day. Credit sites disclaimer. 
All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither credit sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this podcast. Credit sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is credit sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by this listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by credit sites or its affiliates.